Peace be upon you. So God willing, in today's episode, we're going to address the question, was Abraham truthful or was he a liar? Now, this seems like a peculiar question, but the reason for bringing this up is if you read the Quran, it says that Abraham was truthful, but if you consult the Hadith corpus, it calls him a liar. So in the Quran, in chapter 19, verse 41, it says, mention in the scripture Abraham, he was truthful, a prophet. And then contrast this with the Hadith. This is Termidi. Uh, number 3166. It says, Abu Huraira, who said the messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, said, Abraham did not lie about anything except for three statements. So it's calling Abraham a liar, that he lied on three statements. And what are the three statements? It says, his saying, indeed, I am sick, when he was not sick. His saying about Sarah, she is my sister. And his saying that it was the biggest of them that did it. And this is considered a sahi narration. Now, God willing, we'll dig into what these three instances that they claim that Abraham lied regarding. But first, let's look at Abraham's character according to the Quran. So according to the Quran, the prophet was commanded to follow Milata Ibrahim, the religion of Abraham. This is in Surah 16, verse 123. It says, Then we inspired you, Muhammad, to follow the religion of Abraham, the monotheist. He never was an idol worshiper. So while the prophet brought the Furqan, the, the book of law, which is the Quran, Abraham brought the rituals, the Salat, the Zakat, the fasting, the Hajj, all these stem from Abraham. So therefore, Abraham becomes kind of the father of our religion. In the Quran, it informs us that God has selected Abraham as a beloved friend. Now you think what kind of a character this individual must have that God, out of all his creatures, has selected this individual as a beloved friend. In Surah 4, verse 125, says, Who is better guided in his religion than one who submits totally to God, leads a righteous life, according to the creed of Abraham, monotheism. God has chosen Abraham as a beloved friend. What an amazing honor to be an insignificant creature and God choosing you as a beloved friend. The Quran also identifies Abraham as an example uh, for us to follow. And this is in Surah 60, verse 4, where it shows that he left an exemplary example, but it also points out the one single mistake that according to the Quran he made, which is that he asked forgiveness for his father. And so in Surah 60, verse 4, it reads, A good example has been set for you by Abraham and those with him. So God is telling us to follow his example. And here it is. They said to their people, we disown you and the idols that you worship besides God. We denounce you and you will see nothing from us except animosity and hatred until you believe in God alone. However, a mistake was committed by Abraham when he said to his father, I will pray for your forgiveness, but I possess no power to protect you from God. Our Lord, we trust in you and submit to you and to you is the final destiny. The Quran informs us why Abraham prayed for his father's forgiveness. And it's specified in Surah 9 verse 114 is because he made him a promise that he would. It reads, the only reason Abraham asked forgiveness for his father was that he had promised him to do so. But as soon as he realized that he was an enemy of God, he disowned him. Abraham was extremely kind, clement. This shows Abraham's extreme honesty and to the extent to which he went to keep his word and maintain his truthfulness. For this, God recognizes him for this quality 
And this was in the opening of this uh, podcast we read, Surah 19, verse 41. It says, mention in the scripture Abraham. He was a saint, a prophet. And the Arabic word for saint here is sadaqan. Sadaqan means a person of truth, someone who's trustworthy. So the Quran through and through is calling Abraham someone who's trustworthy, who's truthful to a fault. Now contrast this again to the Hadith where it claims that Abraham lied on three occasions. And in order to consider something a lie, it has to fulfill four requirements. The first one is falsehood. The statement itself must be false. That is, it does not align with the facts or truth of the situation. The second is that the person who's propagating this lie must know, have knowledge of falsehood. The person making the statement must know or believe that it's false. If someone unknowingly says something untrue, believing it's true, we can't consider that person a liar per se. It means they have to know that what they're stating is false. The third point is there has to be intent to deceive. The person must make the false statement with the intention of deceiving others. The purpose is for the listener to believe the statement as true, thus being misled or misinformed. And the fourth has to do with communication. The false statement must be communicated to someone else. An unexpressed thought, even if it's false and intended to deceive, does not constitute a lie until it is communicated to another person. So in order to say that Abraham lied, he must have fulfilled these four requirements. One, that the statement was false. Two, that he knowingly knew that it was false. Three, his intent was to deceive. He wanted to trick people, and fourth, that he communicated this to others. So while the Quran not only calls Abraham truthful, we see numerous examples that he was not a liar. Yet when we look at the Hadith, it says that he lied on three occasions. So let's look at these three occasions. The first example of the supposed lie attributed to uh, Abraham can be seen in Sahih Bukhari 5084. And this Hadith is narrated by Abu Huraira, who claims that the Prophet said, peace be upon him, Ibrahim did not lie except on three occasions. And then it talks about the first occasion. It says, one time, while Ibrahim passed by a tyrant with Sarah, his wife, and he mentioned the story, so he gave her Hajar. She said, may Allah restrain the hand of the disbeliever, and he gave me Hajar as a slave. Abu Huraira said, so she is your mother, O sons of the water of the sky. The absurdity of this hadith is so silly on numerous levels. So not only does this hadith claim that Abraham again was a liar, but it also propagates two false accusations from the Bible that are not found in the Quran. The first is that Abraham told Pharaoh in Egypt that Sarah was his sister, and you'll see this in Genesis 12, 13, that when they were traveling, according to the biblical narrative, that he told uh, Sarah, he says, look, if they think I'm married to you, they're going to kill me, so why don't you say that you're my sister? So again, we don't see this narration uh, in the Quran. And the fact that they're attributing, again, falsehood to Abraham, we shouldn't accept it blindly. Uh, the, the second thing that's a fabrication that's just funny to find this in the Hadith is that it says that Hajar was the slave uh, of Sarah. And it, this has to do with just Jewish um, despisement towards the lineage of Ishmael, that they want to belittle Hajar, when in actuality she was a princess from uh, uh, Egypt. So they want to diminish her character, and the Hadith is reinforcing this false ideology. Not only that, this contradicts the Quran in another way as well. 
The Quran confirms that Muhammad was a Gentile and that he did not know the contents of the previous scripture. This was a miracle for the people then. And the Quran confirms that if he knew what was in the earlier scriptures, people would have reason to doubt. It reads in 2948, says, You did not read the previous scriptures, nor did you write them uh, with your hand. In that case, the rejectors would have had reason to harbor doubts. So the fact that if Muhammad supposedly knew these narrations from the Old Testament, it contradicts this verse in the Quran, where it clearly states that Muhammad did not know the previous scriptures, he did not read them, nor did he write them down. And it says if he did that, they would have reason to doubt. That's what makes the Quran so miraculous, specifically for that time and place. That how is it possible that this individual, this Gentile, had this intimate knowledge of these matters? But in the Hadith, it makes it seem that as if uh, Muhammad had deep knowledge of these matters and confirmed points in the Bible not found in the Quran. It's also worth pointing out that these Hadith, they're attributed to Abu Huraira, who we know had uh, was heavily influenced by Kab al-Abr, uh, who pushed Talmudic ideology and folklore into the Hadith corpus. And a lot of these Hadith that are attributed uh, from Abu Huraira to the Prophet Basically, you can say that, okay, this is Jewish influence onto the Hadith corpus. Consider that the function of the Quran is to safeguard and correct what was distorted in the Bible. In contrast, the Hadith attempts to give credibility to these false accounts not found in the Quran by attributing lies to the Prophet and contradicting the Quran. In Surah 5 verse 15, it says, O people of the scripture, our messenger has come to you to proclaim for you many things you have concealed in the scripture and to pardon many other transgressions you have committed. A beacon has come to you from God and a profound scripture. Right? The function of this Quran is to supersede, it's to correct the matters that have been distorted or concealed in the previous scriptures. In Surah 5 verse 48 says, Then we revealed to you this scripture truthfully, confirming previous scriptures and superseding them. You shall rule among them in accordance with God's revelations and do not follow their wishes if they differ from the truth that came to you. And since for each of you we have decreed laws and different rights, had God willed, he could have made you one congregation, but he thus puts you to the test through the revelations he has given each of you. You shall compete in righteousness to God is your final destiny, all of you. Then he will inform you of everything you had disputed. So to claim that Abraham was a liar based on a narrative in the Bible that we don't find in the Quran becomes highly problematic, especially when it contradicts the verses of the Quran where it emphasizes the trustworthiness and honesty of Abraham's character. Now, God willing, let's look at the second Hadith that they attribute uh, to the reason why they say that Abraham lied three times. And this Hadith aims to belittle Abraham by claiming that he made three lies and to elevate the status of the prophet. And it's not only Abraham. It also belittles Adam, Noah, Moses, and Jesus. And it wants to bring them all lower and say that they committed sins and Muhammad is the only one who's pure enough to intercede on the day of judgment. So this narration, as expected, is narrated by Abu Huraira. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's excessively long. But basically, it's saying that on the day of judgment, God's anger is going to be raging. And the people are going to go from one prophet to the next, trying to find someone to intercede on their behalf. So first, they go to Adam. 
And it reads, So they will go to Adam and say to him, You are the father of mankind. Allah created you with his own hand and breathed into you of his spirit and ordered the angels to prostrate before you. So please intercede for us with your Lord. Don't you see in what state we are? Don't you see what condition we have reached? Adam will say, Today my Lord has become angry as he has never become before, nor will ever become thereafter. He forbade me to eat the fruit of the tree, but I disobeyed him. And then Adam supposedly says, Myself, 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 that he's preoccupied with his own problems. He's imploring for his own uh, uh, intercession. And so then he says, Go to, uh, to Noah. So they will go to Noah and say to him, O oh Noah, you are the first of Allah's messengers to the people of the earth, and Allah has named you a thankful slave. Please intercede for us with your Lord. Don't you see in what state we are? He will say, Today my Lord has become angry as he has never become, nor will ever become thereafter. I had in the world the right to make one definitively accepted invocation, and I made it against my nation. And then he's going to say, Myself, myself, myself. Go to someone else. Go to Abraham. They will go to Abraham and say, Oh, Abraham, you're Allah's messenger in his Khalil, which means close friend, from among the people of the earth. So please intercede for us with your Lord. Don't you see in what state we are? He will say to them, My Lord has today become angry as he has never become before, nor will ever become thereafter. And then Abraham professes the reason that his intercession won't be accepted. It says, I told three lies. And then he's going to implore, myself, 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 go to someone else, go to Moses. And they go to Moses, and then Moses says, you know, I punched the dude and killed him. And he's going to say, myself, 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 go to Jesus. Then the people go to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, look, I didn't sin, but uh, I'm not worthy of this. You got to go to, you know who? Muhammad. And they go to Muhammad, and Muhammad intercedes, and he saves everyone. It's absolutely ridiculous. This is absurd. And this is wrong on so many levels. And I can't just leave this hanging. I know we're talking about Abraham, these lies that are supposedly attributed to him. But look, there is no intercession. The absurdity of thinking that some other entity is going to intercede on anyone's behalf on the Day of Judgment is absolutely, completely against the Quran. It's straight up idol worship. To think someone is more merciful than God, that God makes a decree, dictates someone's going to go to hell, and some other entity is going to come and say, no, God, you're wrong. That person deserves to go to heaven. It is absolutely against the Quran and idol worship to the highest degree. In Surah 2 verse 48 it says, Beware of the day when no soul can avail another soul, no intercession will be accepted, no ransom can be paid, nor can anyone be helped. You know, to think that any of the prophets, messengers, saints can intercede on the behalf of anyone is as if someone has never read the Quran before. Noah couldn't intercede on behalf of his uh, son. Abraham could not intercede on behalf of his uh, uh, father, nor the people of Lot, right? Lot could not intercede on behalf of his uh, own wife. There is no intercession. The prophet himself couldn't intercede on behalf of his uncle. You know, when God decrees someone's going to heaven or hell, there's nothing any other entity can do about it. God is the ultimate judge. God is the only one who determines who goes to heaven and hell. To think anyone else has a say in the matter is attributing powers of God to that other entity. In Surah 2 verse 123, it says, Beware of the day when no soul will help another soul, no ransom will be accepted, no intercession will be useful, and no one will be helped. The Quran informs us that the only intercession that will be accepted will be for those who are already destined for paradise. 
This means that God alone is the one who determines who goes to paradise or hell. And there will be no third party to alter this decision of God. So imagine you want your parents to make it to paradise. You're going to implore God, please allow my mom, my father into paradise. And if they deserve paradise, then your intercession is in accordance with God's will. But if unfortunately, if they're destined for hell, there's nothing anyone can do to change that destiny. In Surah 43, verse 86, it says, None of those whom they idolize beside him possess any power to intercede unless their intercession coincides with the truth and they fully know. Anyone hoping Muhammad or any other entity will intercede on their behalf on the day of resurrection should know that to think any entity other than God can harm or benefit us is idol worship. In Surah 5, verse 76, it says, Say, would you worship beside God powerless idols who can neither harm you nor benefit you? God is here omniscient. Muhammad was incapable of harming or benefiting even himself, let alone will be capable of interceding on behalf of anyone. In Surah 7 verse 188, God commanded the Prophet to make the following statement. It says, say, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Only what God wills happens to me. If I knew the future, I would have increased my wealth and no harm would have afflicted me. I am no more than a warner and a bearer of good news for those who believe. That's all the prophet can do. He delivers the message. He's a warner and a bearer of good news. He is not an intercessor. There is no intercession with God. God is the only one who determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And anyone who thinks anyone else can intercede on their behalf should read 1757. It says, even the idols they implore are seeking the ways and means towards their Lord. They pray for his mercy and fear his retribution. Surely the retribution of your Lord is dreadful. The people who continue to think that idolizing the prophet will get them in God's graces should realize that such actions will only nullify all their works and be a direct sentence to hell. In Surah 4 verse 116 it says, God does not forgive idol worship if maintained until death, and he forgives lesser offenses for whomever he wills. Anyone who idolizes any idol beside God has strayed far astray. That alone should tell us that this hadith is utter garbage. It's trash. But in addition, again, what's it doing? It's elevating the status of the prophet and it's diminishing and ruining the character of the other prophets, as if God did not forgive Moses for punching and killing someone, that God did not forgive Adam when he approached that tree, that he still had this grudge against them. What's the purpose of repentance and reforming and redemption? You know, there's so much wrong with this narration. But let's go back to the point. You know, this is saying that, again, it's calling out Abraham, saying the reason that he's a lesser status than the prophet is because he lied on three occasions. You know, we already saw one lie. So what are these other two lies that they're attributing to Abraham? So in Bukhari 3358, it specifies these other two lies, which we discussed at the very start of the podcast. This is another narration by no other than Abu Huraira, who claims that uh, Abraham did not tell a lie except on three occasions, twice for the sake of Allah, when he said, I am sick. And he said, I have not done this, but the big idol has done it. And we'll see this narration in uh, numerous other Sahih compilations. 
And it's all roughly says the same thing. It says that Abraham lied three times. And let's look at these other lies that they're attributing to, uh, to, to Abraham. This claim that I am sick. So this comes from the Quran in Surah 37, verse 89. And it's hilarious. So in the Hadith, it claims that Abraham lied when he told his people he was sick and claiming that he wasn't actually sick. And this comes from, again, Surah 37. Let's read it in context. Uh, starting from 83 through 93. It says, Among his followers was Abraham. He came to his Lord wholeheartedly. He said to his father and his people, What are you worshipping? Is it these fabricated gods instead of God that you want? What do you think of the Lord of the universe? He looked carefully at the stars. Then he gave up and said, I am tired of this. And this is the word that they, they translate. They say that he's saying, I am sick. <laughs> they turned away from him. He then turned on their idols, saying, Would you like to eat? Why do you not speak? He then destroyed them. To claim that this is a lie is just terrible, terrible tafsir. The expression that they translate to, I am sick, is inni saqim. Saqim, as used in this, is sick, but not in the term of sick like ill. It means to be sick, similar to how we use it in English, like I'm sick and tired. Right? This does not mean that I'm ill. For example, we see the exact same word used in the context of Jonah. And it's this word only occurs twice in the entire Quran. Like the root only occurs twice. And you'll see both words, same exact word, uh, used just a, a few verses ahead. So this is in the context of Jonah, uh, starting from Surah 37, verse 139 through 145. It says, Jonah was one of the messengers. He escaped to the loaded ship. He rebelled, and thus he joined the losers. Consequently, the fish swallowed him, and he was one to blame. If it were not that he resorted to meditation on God, he would have stayed in its belly until the day of resurrection. We had him thrown up in the desert. Saqim, okay, exhausted, tired, right? Not sick, not ill. He was exhausted. And you can look at any translation. This is the way it's translated. This shows that the word Saqim is not that he was sick. It was that he was tired of this dealing with these people, these idol worshippers. No matter what argument he brought up, what proof he showed to them, they just they wouldn't budge. They 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 doubled down on their idolatry, and this is not a lie. But what is a lie is the claim that the prophet said that Abraham was lying when he made this statement. When someone says I'm sick and tired and saying, "Oh, you're a liar. You're not actually sick." Like how absurd. Abu Huraira is putting his nonsensical understanding and saying that this was a statement from the prophet, right? No one reads this and thinks that Abraham is telling a lie when he makes this statement. No, this is a truthful statement. And to say that it's not is just terrible tafsir. So they're belittling Abraham, but also belittling the prophet by making him seem like he believes something that's nonsensical. And this is more telling of the scholars who propagate this hadith, that they have a choice here, right? Was the prophet unaware of the use of this word and its meaning? Or is the hadith a fabrication? You know, ironically, Sunnis choose to belittle the prophet on both Muhammad and Abraham by propagating this lie, rather than consider that their hadith sciences are absolutely worthless. So let's look at the third lie that they attribute to Abraham. The last accusation against Abraham stating a lie, according to the Hadith, is regarding his statement that when he destroyed the idols, that he pointed at the big one and said the big one did it. They're saying, look, Abraham is lying by making this statement. 
So let's read these verses. Uh, this is in Surah 21, uh, verse 63, but let's start from uh, 2151. It says, Before that we granted Abraham his guidance and understanding, for we were fully aware of him. He said to his father and his people, What are these statues to which you are devoting yourselves? They said, We found our parents worshipping them. He said, Indeed, you and your parents have gone totally astray. They said, Are you telling us the truth or are you playing? He said, Your only Lord is the Lord of the heavens and the earth who created them. This is the testimony to which I bear witness. I swear by God I have a plan to deal with your statues as soon as you leave. He broke them into pieces, except for a big one, that they may refer to it. They said, Whoever did this to our gods is really a transgressor. They said, We heard a youth threaten them. He is called Abraham. They said, Bring him before the eyes of all the people that they may bear witness. They said, Did you do this to our gods, O Abraham? He, Abraham, said, It is the big one who did it. Go ask them if they can speak. So this is the supposed lie that they're attributing to Abraham. Now it continues, 2164 through 67, it says, They were taken aback and said to themselves, Indeed, you are the ones who have been transgressing. Yet they reverted to their old ideas. You know full well that these cannot speak. He said, Do you then worship beside God what possesses no power to benefit you or harm you? You have incurred shame by worshiping idols beside God. Do you not understand? So this claim that when Abraham said, look, it's the big one who did it. So if we are to believe that the prophet considered this statement a lie, is showing that, I mean, it's so bad. It's claiming that the prophet had no understanding to the logic and reasoning that Abraham was utilizing in order to prove his point. You know, in, in order for something to be a lie, you have to intend to deceive the audience the tactic that abraham uses he uses this in this instance and in other instances the term is called reductio ad absurdum and this is a logical method used to disprove an argument by demonstrating that it leads to an absurd or contradictory conclusion in this approach one assumes a statement or premise to be true and then logically follows it to its extreme consequences. If these consequences are absurd, illogical, or self-contradictory, it suggests that the original statement or premise must be false. This technique is commonly used in mathematical proofs, philosophical arguments, and logical debates, and this is what Abraham uses consistently in the Quran to prove his point. It effectively shows the falsity of an argument by highlighting its untenable or ridiculous implications rather than directly proving it to be false. The strength of using reductio ad absurdium lies in its ability to use an opponent's own logic and assumptions against them, leading to a conclusion that is clearly untenable or irrational. And this is precisely what Abraham did to prove his point. He had them realize that the idols they worshipped that they carved out of their own hands were incapable of defending themselves or even destroying each other. Now, if the big one was incapable, they realized the absurdity to think that the stone statue destroyed the other ones. It proved that their entire premise, their entire foundation, their entire belief system was wrong. And that's why it says that they reflected upon themselves and they realized that they were the ones transgressing. It shows that his arguments worked. And it's in that moment that the people realized the fallacy of their ways, that they had some clarity, 
they they realized they were the ones who were led astray. But despite that, they reverted back to their old ways. We see Abraham use this exact same tactic in another surah of the Quran, in surah 6 of the Quran, uh, verses 74 through 83. He makes the exact same line of reasoning to prove that there's only one God and what these people were worshipping could not harm them, could not benefit them. And it's interesting that if they're going to call that the big one did it a lie, why don't they call these other statements a lie as well? And let's read these. So 674, recall that Abraham said to his father, Azar, how could you worship statues as gods? I see that you and your people have gone far astray. We showed Abraham the marvels of the heavens and the earth and blessed him with certainty. When the night fell, he saw a shining planet. Maybe this is my Lord, he said. When it disappeared, he said, I do not like gods that disappear. When he saw the moon rising, he said, maybe this is my Lord. When it disappeared, he said, unless my Lord guides me, I will be with the strayers. When he saw the sun rising, he said, this must be my Lord. This is the biggest. But when it set, he said, oh, my people, I denounce your idolatry. I have devoted myself absolutely to the one who initiated the heavens and the earth. I will never be an idol worshiper. His people argued with him. He said, do you argue with me about God? After he has guided me, I have no fear of the idols you set up. Nothing can happen to me unless my Lord wills it. My Lord's knowledge encompasses all things. Would you not take heed? Why should I fear your idols? It is you who should be afraid, since you worship instead of God idols that are utterly powerless to help you. Which side is more deserving of security if you know? Those who believe and do not pollute their belief with idol worship have deserved the perfect security and they are truly guided. Such was our argument with which we supported Abraham against his people. We exalt whomever we will to higher ranks. Your Lord is most wise, omniscient. This is an argument that God gave Abraham. He's demonstrating to his people that these other entities that they're worshiping, the planets, the moon, the sun, that they're not God. And he's taking it to these absurd levels for people to, God willing, realize this. Utilizing the tactic of reductio ad absurdum is not lying. Lying requires the intent of a person to want to deceive. The fabricator of a lie knows that their statement is not true, but wishes for the listener to believe it is true. In the case of Abraham, his intent was not for his people to genuinely believe that it was the big one who did it but for them to realize that such an idea was illogical. If this is to be considered a lie, then we're saying that his intent was to genuinely make people think that the big one did it, not to prove his point that the big one was incapable of doing such acts, that the big one was incapable of destroying any other smaller statues. Lies are used in various contexts often to mislead or hide truth for personal gain, to protect someone, to avoid consequences, to claim that Abraham lied when he made the statement attributing that the big one was the one who uh, destroyed the other idols, is to make the assumption that Abraham was trying to cover his butt, that he didn't want to get caught, that he was pushing the blame to the big one so people wouldn't find out that it was him. That's absolutely absurd. The reason he did this was to prove a point. He knew people were going to come after him. And he knew exactly what he was going to say when they come after him. And he pushed their ideology to its logical absurdities for them to have a chance at waking up and renouncing their idol worship. 
to claim that Abraham lied when he made the statement is to claim that he made such a statement to avoid consequences. But again, we see this is not the case. As he told his people in 681, it says, Why should I fear your idols? It is you who should be afraid, since you worship instead of God idols that are utterly powerless to help you. Which side is more deserving of security if you know? Lastly, lies are inherently dishonest. They are not used as a tool of logical reasoning, but rather as a means to mislead or misrepresent reality. It's clear from the exchange that Abraham's intent was not to mislead, to misrepresent reality, but the complete opposite, to try to guide his people to the truth. If we are to consider this statement of Abraham's as a lie, then why not consider his argument with his people regarding the planet, the moon, the sun being lies as well? These verses confirm that this was the debate style of Abraham. And this, this argumentation, it did not even come from himself. As we saw in the verse, this was an argument that God gave him to support his cause. In 683, it says, Such was our argument with which we supported Abraham against his people. We exalt whomever we will to higher ranks. Your Lord is most wise, omniscient. So Abraham is being dictated to do these acts, to make these specific arguments. So if we're saying that Abraham told a lie in this regard, we're calling God who provided him these arguments a liar. And that is beyond blasphemous. So what do we learn from this? One, we learn that Abraham was truthful. The Quran is correct. But the second thing we learn is that the Hadith is full of lies. Left and right, front and back, it's inundated with all lies that are being attributed to the Prophet against his will. So by calling Abraham a liar and saying that he lied in three instances, we actually see that the Hadith are full of lies. So again, if one claims that the Hadith is authentic, it's Sahih, they're insinuating that the Prophet was either a liar or ignorant. But time and time again, we see that the Sunnis will throw the Prophet under the bus to preserve their Hadith rather than admit that their Hadith sciences are worthless and the Hadith is a direct insult to the integrity of the Prophet. How despicable to have the pristine, pure word of God in the Quran and throw it away for these folklore tales given by someone who's known as the father of a kitten. It goes to show that these people don't deserve the Quran. They don't have access to the Quran. As long as they keep pursuing and propagating this filth of Hadith and Sunnah, and claiming that this is a secondary book of law next to the Quran, they're going to be outside of God's grace. They're going to not have God's protection. And in the words of Abraham, I have no fear of the idols you set up. Nothing can happen to me unless my Lord wills it. My Lord's knowledge encompasses all things. Would you not take heed? Why should I fear your idols? Bukhari, Muslim, Termidi, your scholars. It is you who should be afraid, since you worship instead of God idols that are utterly powerless to help you. Which side is more deserving of security if you know? Those who believe and do not pollute their belief with idol worship have deserved the perfect security and are truly guided. God willing, by following the Quran alone, worshiping God alone, not listening to these fabrications of Satan and calling them revelations of God, we hopefully will be rewarded and worthy of God's mercy. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys want to get in contact, 
please join us on our Discord server. We got Quran studies, daily uh, conversations, debates, meditation, Quran recitation. It's a great place. We'd love to have you. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, you can download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And if you want notes from today's discussion, you can go to Quran Talk blog where you can find today's uh, notes as well as uh, tons of blogs on various topics. And if you want more regular updates, please follow me on Twitter. And until next time, peace and God bless.